It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. It is Tuesday. It's 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which means we have two fantastic guests lined up for us to talk to, pick their brains, see what they're thinking about, and hopefully get some great stories about maybe some of the wonderful things they're working on, some of the most challenging talent issues that they're helping you know, smash at their jobs, and, and maybe even uh, some of the really cool ideas and things that maybe you haven't thought about uh, that they may be working on. So, you know, this show is really about those stories and, and getting inspired by these fantastic leaders that come on this show. And uh, so many of those stories <clears throat> were so good that we I put them in my first book called The Power of Company Culture. Uh, you can get that wherever you pick up your books online. Uh, Amazon is the easiest choice, but uh, wherever you get your books, you can find it. And, you know, we, we come here every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and, and try to have a, a conversation live that can hopefully inspire and teach and and even interact with our with our guests. So if you're listening live, thank you. Uh, a lot of you come in after the fact. You uh, get us on the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, maybe Stitcher, uh, wherever you find your podcast, we're there. And we really appreciate everybody interacting with us. But if you happen to be listening, maybe fairly close after the, this uh, sh- show has been turned into a podcast, you can also go to Twitter and follow at PeopleG2. You can follow that hashtag Talent Talk, all one word. And my social media coordinator, Angela, actually feeds me any questions that come in while the show's going on. After the fact, any sort of interaction, maybe you have comments, questions, things you maybe you wish the guests had talked about or you want to go down uh, even deeper with them. And we, we tag all of our guests there. We put all the best comments. We uh, links to books and maybe some different resources. It's really the best kind of... Uh, guide or maybe kind of a companion to a while we're going through this conversation is to be following along on Twitter as well. So excited to bring in my guests. Uh, they will be today. My first uh, guest will be uh, Jill Ratliff, uh, executive coach, leadership speaker, uh, and also an author uh, of leadership through uh, trust and collaboration, uh, and also a longtime mentor with Path Builders. And then my second guest uh, back to the show is my friend, uh, Iyendi Alakoye, and he's the founder and CEO of Needle. Uh, you may have remembered him with his previous company, but Iandi will bring him. We'll bring him in in the second half of the show. See what he's been up to, what his new project is, uh, and hopefully uh, get inspired by by him. So, but let's go ahead and uh, bring uh, Jill into the conversation. Uh, Jill, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, and uh, maybe you know how are you doing today, and and maybe you can. Uh, you know, kind of give everyone a little uh, 
you know, update or maybe what's kind of the best thing for us to know about you as it relates to our conversation today? Sure. So, first of all, how am I doing? And thanks for asking. I think um, <laughs> in this day and age, it's really good to start with that with a lot of people. Yeah. So, and, um, you know, the answer is I'm awesome, honestly. Um, couldn't be better. Um, I'm out in California. So, I think I'm where you are, right? I'm out here on the West Coast and I live in sunshine and beaches. I've got family out here and it's just really awesome. So, my, um, my background, just to give it to you at 30,000 feet, is I spent 30 years running really people and culture initiatives for Fortune 50 companies, global multinationals, large companies. So complex environment, and, and I love actually talking to someone like you because, you know, um, you ran an organization for a lot of years, and so it's altogether different to academically talk about what it takes to do that and be a good leader, um, or even as a head of human resources and people and culture to think about programmatically how do you create a great culture? It's altogether different, you know, to get in the trenches of what really happens every day and, you know, think about, is it working? And I think that has a lot to do with my perspective now and why I wrote my book is I think a lot of it's not working. I think we're super well-intended, but the world has changed around us in so many dramatic ways. And I think we need a new narrative. We need to think differently about leadership and running organizations and cultures and all of it and so i'm excited to be in those conversations so i like having this one so thank you yeah and i'm uh, glad you're enjoying some of our southern california sun and not where the fires are you know right a, yeah i'm in san diego i should okay yeah you're you're a little south of me but yeah it's, it's been it's been nice and hot and beautiful lately you know, uh, I think one of the things that uh, we talk about a lot in this show is about leadership, and there has been this kind of consistent debate about uh, who who can be a great leader and 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 how can people become great leaders. And I'm just sort of wondering, you know, do you think that anyone can learn to be a great leader? Or is it something that they maybe inherently sort of observe at a young age and then sort of take that that role on? Right? Is it is it, is it learned behavior? Is it uh, are you, are you maybe even worst case, you know, are you are you born a leader? What's sort of your view on that? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to just put the end to the debate. <laughs> I think uh, great leaders are made, not born. You know, I think, and I, I feel that way just about people, right? And you can be born into any circumstance, any situation, any, you know, place on earth, frankly, and you can take your life to somewhere great. And there's so many examples of that, right? People that didn't start out with all the advantages and their world changers, you know, like an Oprah Winfrey to just give an example or Richard Branson. So I think that it's a development in general of you as a person is really no different than development of you as a leader. It's just, you know, you've got to pay attention and you've got to have, you know, some sense that you even want to be want to do that. So yeah, I'm in the great leaders are developed, not born category. Yeah, and I, I think the confusion always lies where it's really easy for someone who is maybe naturally an extra an extrovert, someone who's right. happy to be in front of people and to right. be talking right. and but right. you can be that person and still be a terrible leader. And totally. so I think that's totally. where people get confused because being a good leader is not necessarily about being an extrovert, about being loud or being a good connector of people. And those are skills that will help you, but being a good leader is something that I, I think to your point, you really need to, they, they need to be bred, not born, right? 
A hundred percent. And you know what, you know, Chris, you've been around the circles for a long time. And in my career, given what I do for a living, I'm, I've coached out literally a couple thousand leaders, right, in that period of time. And they they are all different personalities. And even the best of them, I could put two next to each other that have fundamentally opposite personalities. And, um, and it really is has less to do with your personality and much more to do with your motivation to lead and and with your ability and your courage to you know to look inside you know become an inner directed leader you know as i like to say you know and talk about my book is you can't lead anyone else you can lead yourself first and to lead yourself sounds so easy doesn't it (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it takes a lot of work and a lot of courage to be willing to look objectively at, at what you're doing, what's working, what's not working about it, and how can you get better, and then being committed to that. Um, you know, and that's right. the work, and most great leaders do that on some or a deep level. So so was it this sort of, I guess, uh, interaction and, and, and fascination with, with all these different types of leaders and, and people that inspired you to write your book, Leadership Through Trust and Collaboration, or was there something else that was the spark for you? Yeah, there was something else. I think that the, you know, the the secondary motivation was that that's my line of work. Right? I spent a lot of years doing it, and and I thought each each time, you know, we tried new things. I thought, oh, this is it. We've got it now. And then each time you learn and realize, well, no, that didn't actually work. So one is the cumulative passion of mine over time to do it well because it was my profession and to figure it out. So that, of course, was always there. But the real impetus for writing the book and for really honestly starting to look at it altogether different was personal. It was a very personal story. I had a younger brother, several years younger than me, who got a very notorious cancer that ultimately took his life. And he was um, globally known um, in leadership development work, but in the lean world, he flew all over the world working with companies to help them, as he liked to say, learn how to get out of their own way so they can be highly productive and successful. And when he went through his cancer battle for four years, which they told him would be four months long and turned into four years, so tells you a little bit about what kind of guy he was. Mm-hmm. Um, when he went through that, he and I had a lot of conversations about life and leadership, and it was really his clarity that made me start rethinking and honestly made me write the book. It's really a dedication to him and the messages that he shared with me, particularly in the late stages of his cancer battle. So it sounds like the message in the book is maybe a bit different than what a lot of other books would be. I mean, you might pick up a t- right. typical leadership book and it's going to be, here's the here's the 10 things you're doing wrong, here's the 10 things right. you do right. And, you know, and it sounds yeah. more like a story about uh, not only your, your brother, but the things that he was highly focused on. And I, lo- I love that, that that line about, you know, helping them get out of their own way, which is li- literally most of what we do when we go in and consult with companies and we are coaching uh, CEOs or helping yeah. people. It's you know, they they, they got the, they've got themselves wrapped up in knots of, uh, often, and they just need to unravel a little bit, and they have a lot of success. So, you know, is, is that really what, where the message you know resonates is around that sort of those inspiring things that you learned from your brother, or you know, yeah. there are also other yeah, things to think that we should talk about, you know, as it relates to the book. Totally. So, yeah, when I think about it, he was just a rare individual, and in that he had the capacity, you know, at 52 years old, to be facing the end of his life. And knowing it um, on some level and suffering, you know, at a really mighty level, which anybody who's had a loved one go through that, you know, knows probably what I'm talking about. It's extraordinary 
to watch the courage of some people that go through that battle, and he was one of them. But in the course of doing that, he also just had such clarity about like what he was learning and what he wanted to pass on. And so as it relates to leaders, uh, leadership, there were really sort of five things he said over and over again and talked to me about relating to leadership. And, you know, first one was simple is better, less is more. And he lived that way around how he did his leadership coaching and his work in lean and working with organizations. Two, he said, and this honestly, if I can leave people with one message, it probably would be this one, which is life is supposed to be fun. I mean, we go into leadership to lead, to make a difference, to have an impact, to enjoy it. And somewhere along the line, you know, the, all the fun has gone out of it. We're so ridiculously serious about, you know, everything, frankly, and business. And I think we need to lighten up. And I could talk more about what does that mean and how does that become a leadership practice, right? But third is be kind. You know, we just, it's so simple, um, but you can have an extraordinarily tough conversation about performance and be kind at the same time, and, you know, that's a lost art. Fourth, he said, you know, we think we have problems, but we don't. We don't really have problems in business. We just have opportunities. We have to learn to look at them that way. And the last thing he said is joy is all around you all the time, every day, and you're just missing it. So those were like sort of the five there were many more, but those were the five that I built the book around and tried to relate to how do we do and think about leadership and culture and companies. So that's sort of the shape of it, if you will. Yeah. And this sounds like a great companion to anybody who uh, has spent any time studying or working inside of appreciative inquiry or positive leadership. Right. I mean, those right. are these are really some key things. I mean, the biggest one is it's not a problem, it's an opportunity. When I right. when I had that that revelation in my own businesses, it was huge, right? Just to stop exactly. saying I'm a problem solver. I'm a, I'm an opportunity finder. <laughs> you yeah. know, that and was not huge. Only that, but it's really funny because you're the CEO, right? It, isn't yeah. that what you hire people to do is to solve problems? Like that's the game. Like that's what we go there to do. And then we complain that we have a problem. It's so counterintuitive. Like yeah. that's the game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And when, and when I, when I learned that and I started thinking and helping everyone else in the organization, think about uh, these are opportunities, right? Clients upset, they come to you. Here's an opportunity for us to help them, opportunity for us to maybe discover new things, to maybe find extra business, maybe to to change, help them, you know, on a larger scale, not just to keep them from being mad right now, but how do we have a larger conversation uh, now that they've come to us? And and then the second thing, to your point about where we complain about people wanting to bring their problems, and that was a huge thing for me to to realize I had another CEO tell me one time that he realized it was his job to deal with the big issues and he had right. better start enjoying it because that's what his yep. job was. Right. Right. And, and yet, so do you want to be stressed ha- out and miserable all day or do you want to right. like go for it and have fun, you know? Right. And be happy. Hey, th- people are bringing me the big things they're supposed to, and I'm supposed to help them and I'm supposed to, yeah. you know, move mountains and, 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 make these great things happen because I'm the CEO uh, and and I can enjoy it. And I started just, it was just a mindset switch for me. And that was made all the difference in the world. That when people call me, I get excited that we're going to have a conversation, not, oh, geez, am I going to bring me another problem today? You know? Well, I love that you said that about the mindset shift because that's sort of one of those quotes, right? Einstein's when you change the way you see things, the things you see begin to change Mm -hmm. and all sorts of possibilities open up. And so a lot with my work, starts with that before I even 
start talking to a leadership team or group about a, a situation or something they want to get better at or improve, you, you first have to look at it differently. And this is, that, this is a great example of what you just said. When you learned, I think you said, when I learned to look at problems differently, it changed everything, right? Yeah. So if you just yeah. try to change, like just try to get excited about problems, like if I just said, get excited about your problems, people look at me like, right? Like, how do I do that? You have to have the shift in mindset first. You have to have an epiphany that makes you see a whole different way of looking at something. Then you can do something about it, right? Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm wondering, you know, with your you know, 25 years of hands-on experience leading you know, people and culture efforts yeah. and yeah. You know, working a lot with larger global corporations. And so I'm wondering if you sort of shaped a particular perspective on leadership as it relates to maybe larger companies, because I, I kind of find that there you have a few rare leaders that are sort of the exception to the rule that are maybe really fantastic a whole lot of other people that are just sort of stuck in the middle and they're struggling and they don't really have a process, they don't really have a, right. a strategy right. towards leadership. Right. And, and right. they're sort of being totally squished agree. on both ends, right? Like a, like a high-pressure sandwich, you know, with, right. they got, and, and, and they don't quite, you know, you can find those few, few rogue uh, operators out there, those Jedis that are making these miracles happen. But I think most, most leaders are sort of feeling the pressure and struggling a little bit. Struggle. Whereas, you know, I look at a entrepreneurial setting, a smaller company, it's a little easier, it feels like, for them to sort of navigate that and have their personality. So maybe once it looks to that, you know, big global corporation perspective, what, what are some of those insights? What are some of those things that you see and that you're, you're you know, maybe we're helping people with? Yeah, so I think two things. One, uh, what I learned working for ING as an example, right, $500 billion in assets in, you know, 27 countries. I mean, it's a massive organization, and so is eye-opening. Um, and what I sort of take away, and I worked at PepsiCo as well, again, a very large company. And what you learn is that you can look at it as a big company, or you could just look at it as a whole bunch of small companies working in the same space market with the same product, right? And, and that's probably closer to the truth which is, you know, at the end of the day, great work gets done and many cultures are created within a large organization by the person who is the leader of whatever the function is, whether that's at a functional level, a department level, or a supervisor level in a plant. So much of the experience that, that those employees are going to have and the kind of service that your customer is going to get and the kind of innovation your company is going to develop comes down to a small group of people like a thousand times over, right? So that's sort of one. And so I'm less excited about big programmatic solutions that sweep large companies. I don't think they're nearly as effective as we like to tell ourselves they are. And then two, and maybe this is just, again, my unique perspective over so many years of working with so many different managers, is I believe what you said is 100% true. Many leaders are not good leaders, not not even really good leaders, much less great leaders, but they want to be. Like most managers and leaders I know when they sit down in my office and we talk, they're trying to be a good manager or a good leader. They just, back to where you and I started, they can't get out of their own way. They don't actually know what to do about it. So I think that for me, helping people, helping leaders sort of just understand what they are, what's going on with them first before they think about their other people and what they're supposed to be doing. You know, so in my book, I sort of break it down to, to lead yourself first, 
master self-mastery, then build effective relationships regardless of the state and condition of the person or the people you're trying to lead. Like, you have to be you when your people are struggling. You have to be you when they have a conflict. You have to be you when their stress level goes through the roof. And, you know, that you that I'm talking about is that confident one who knows how to, again, look at problems as opportunities, know how to, you know, have self-compassion for yourself and how you manage stress, and then know how to have a difficult conversation to get to a solution without personalizing how it affects you and other people, right? So there's there's some very simple sets of skills we could be teaching people, starting with how they are doing themselves and then how they interact, you know, with each other. So um, that was a long answer to a short question. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, I, I, to be fair, I think I gave you a long intro, but uh, you know, it was a good, it was yeah. great. Yeah, you know, and this is, it's always fascinating to kind of really think about how different types of people are leading, what we can do to help them. And, right. you know, it's, it, it, it feels like it's the thing that we as leaders spend the most time doing is trying to help our leaders be better leaders. Uh, and and I, I'm sort of wondering if you have an idea of, it's like, why, why isn't this something that we are focusing on and teaching sooner? Uh, you know, why do we why do we maybe yeah. essentially you know teach people that. how to do stuff yeah. in school and then we they show up and it's like, OK, but now we're going to teach you how not to be an idiot when you're leading people. Right. Like, why doesn't it yeah. start sooner? <laughs> right. So I love the question because it just seems so blatantly obvious once you step back. Right. And I think the answer is because we love knowledge and we love complexity. It seems like we, we so lean to our left brain. You know, we, we have complex educational systems. We go to college. You know, we write books on leadership that have, and I love him, John Maxwell, but 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. Right? I study leadership development. I couldn't tell you what law eight is, much less how to apply that on a Thursday morning at 8.15 p.m. when my staff is in an uproar. So we, we love complexity. We love to grow and learn and develop and fill our brains up with all this great knowledge. But what I've come to realize is we know more than we can do so how useful is that knowledge if you can't apply it literally at any point in time in the day when you need it, if it's not simple enough to pull it out of your toolkit and know what to do, then we have an overwhelming amount of knowledge and not much wisdom in how to interact. And so I think we right. underestimate the power of simplicity. You know, Charlie Munger was great about that, the CEO, right, Vice Chair at Berkshire Hathaway, to take a simple idea and take it seriously. And I would yeah. love that because that's so much of what Keith taught me and was saying and so much about what my book's about is how can we take something like human behavior, ours, much less ours along with everybody else, and make it a lot easier to know what to do when things are tough. Because honestly, nobody calls me when it's going great. They don't need help. When people get stuck is when the client cancels the million dollar contract or when the IT folks and the ops folks can't get along or, you know, when the budget got cut by 60% and the stress levels got like people need, leaders need help when they have a challenge or a problem, not when right. things are going great. And we're not taught, we're not given that set of tools to use. Yeah, there's just so much to learn, I guess, stuff. you know, it's like, what, when do you learn it and when, what's the right order? And right. It just seems like there right. should be... Maybe a little sooner yeah. we should start with that. But anyways, uh, Jill, we're out of time here. It's been wonderful to talk to you. I want to make sure that give you the opportunity. How can people find out more about you, your book, anything else you're oh, doing? Where should they look for you? Thank you. So um, my website is Jill Ratliff Leadership. Very simple. My name, JillRatliffLeadership.com. And uh, on LinkedIn, um, Jill Ratliff. 
Twitter, Joe M. Ratliff, but I think the website would be the fastest and easiest way, JoeRatliffLeadership.com. Really simple. Fantastic. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you. I really appreciate you bringing and uh, sharing your story of your brother. And hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the great things that you're doing. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation and just have a great day. All right. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break and bring in my second guest, Ayende Alakoye. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly through our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, Jill Ratliff, we will have her interview as well as this one up in maybe next week or so uh, up on iTunes or you go to TownTalkRadio.com and subscribe there with Podbean. Wherever you find your podcast, you can find us, subscribe, Make sure that you never miss an episode. And don't forget that we will be live tweeting this. So if you'd like to join the conversation, maybe connect with guests, find out uh, where to find that cool book or thing that they talked about, we'll be putting all of that there as we go through this show. So, uh, But let's go ahead and bring in my next guest, who is a, re- a returning veteran to the show, uh, Ayendi Alakoye. And if you need to know how to spell that, we'll probably do that at the end. Uh, in case you need to look him up. But uh, he's the founder and CEO of Needle. And uh, really excited to have him back on the show. Welcome back, Iindy. Hello, Chris, and hello to your to your audience. How are you doing, man? I'm fantastic. It's great to talk to you again. Yeah, so I know you have a lot going on in your life. You have a, you have a new company. You have a, you have a new daughter. You have a lot, a lot of new <laughs> things going on. Uh, so, you know, maybe you can kind of give us a little update on what you're doing, who you are, uh, and what's important for you right now. Yeah, so my company, I'm the CEO, co-founder of Needle, as in the Haystack, four letters in EDL. We are a distributed long-tail media platform that is endeavoring to democratize access to the microphone. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what I'm up to right now. Long story short is that I'm about 20 years in radio, audio, streaming. I uh, created the first iHeartRadio app for uh, Clear Channel and uh, got a chance to write for President Obama and do some other really cool, fun stuff that I look back at and say, I did that. So it's, uh, it's a humbling, exciting career so far, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you what's next. Yeah, so since you're a, a, a media expert and, and, and helping... <laughs> You know, people says expert, right? Right. Well, we can say, you know, I'm going to call you an expert and therefore you are an expert now is yeah, has been bequeathed to you. So but I'm wondering, you know, with everyone going home and 
uh, I guess uh, sort of the, uh, the medium has changed for most people. And, you know, Zoom uh, is really where a lot of people live, Zoom or Teams or something to, uh, similar to that, uh, that they're really dealing with fatigue, right? It's a real thing. There's some real science out there about comparing people sort of watching movement with their eyes on video being similar to them sort of being watching out for for lions and tigers and stuff right they're the, sort of the same part of your brain that's scanning right and you can get, really get tired maybe what are you working on that maybe could help teams collaborate in a better way and deal with some of that fatigue yeah we are the answer to zoom fatigue i mean uh if you think about and and i was recently thinking about it to your point about being a, a new dad my daughter is now 23 months old and uh, getting ready to turn two. And the first sense that she developed in the womb, the second sense, sorry, that she developed in the womb was hearing, right? So it's very, very um, natural and innate for human beings to listen to audio without being able to see anything. And that's why people don't understand why radio continues to stick around, even though it's been... Uh, really kind of ramshackled and just crushed by commercialization from big companies. But the, the medium still stays because people as human beings need to connect with other people through, through their ears in this way. And so, you know, what we've done is we've, we've listened to our, our users. We've listened to our, uh, um, our, our, our users who have asked us, hey, can you make needles so that you can have private broadcast and that's what we've done so we spent the last five months like recreating our platform from the bottom up putting our user-generated content on top and really like just creating uh, a, a creator stack for audio creators so that if you're a work team if you're a place of worship if you are um, a company that wants to do a virtual conference you can come to Needle, instantly start a broadcast, make it private or public, and connect with your with your, your with your with your crew, your individuals, and your audience. So, is that the primary focus then of what you guys are trying to deliver, or is that just maybe one part? I mean, you also sort of at being able to access radio and access music and any other type of, of an audio a format as a part of, of Needle, or where does that kind of sit in the continuum? Yeah, so let me take your audience on a journey back in time to 2017 when we launched the company. And we originally launched the company to, to again, democratize access to information and the microphone itself. But we wanted to do it by making a, a search index for all live audio. And what that meant for us was indexing over 120,000 radio stations in real time by song and artist. Um, and then I lost half of your audience just now because I said, music, song, and artist. And instantly, all of your audience went to Spotify <laughs> in their minds. And mm -hmm. what we were saying was that, was that you know, there are 218 million people in the, in the U.S. today that listen to, um, that listen to live broadcast radio um, and uh, on a daily basis. And we were servicing that market. Um, and we were also allowing people to start their own live broadcast as um, and we were thinking that the way to bring people to the platform so that they could start their own live broadcast is to lure them with all this candy of free live news, sports, talk, information, and music from these radio stations. And what we discovered was that it was just really too hard to get through that mental barrier that people had because of the huge brand identification that 
that Spotify and Apple Music have already. So what we decided to do is kind of flip it on its head because the market has also matured and we realized, oh, um, people actually want to just create their own live broadcast and they don't need any, uh, any additional kind of um, incentive to do that. So, so that's what we've done. We've, we've flipped it around now. So um, we've even removed live news sports talk from radio stations off of the platform temporarily just so that we can highlight and really point up how easy it is to be an audio creator now. And the differentiation, of course, is that you can search by the words that are being said in real time. Well, that sounds, that's fantastic. And that could be a real help for uh, organizations, like you mentioned, uh, for businesses and uh, some other great uh, ideas like with a church or a charity uh, meeting or if it's a PTA or any sort of group that might want to distribute their what they're saying or what's being said to people who maybe can't be together, whether it's because there's a pandemic or maybe they just can't be together because of location or some other issue. I mean, not every parent can get to a PTA meeting, but a PTA meeting could broadcast uh, on your platform, right? So that every parent could listen, even if they ha- are at work during that time or they have to stay home to take care of another child. I mean, sort of really does give people some really different options to allow them to, to listen to something that might be important, something they might uh, need to hear, something they want to hear, something maybe, maybe it's just something they want to learn. Uh, so I really love the sort of pivot you guys have taken there. That, that sounds really exciting. We, we think so. And, and, you know, part of it is just, you know, just being able to, you know, access the content on your terms, even though it is live. So you need to be there right then. The idea being that, you know, you don't need to be tied to a camera and people don't need to see your bookcase and, and, and people don't need to, you know, see your virtual background. You can just have a really easy experience, interact, you know, comment, speak, and, and do all that just from your phone in an audio way. Or maybe you're in the car running from babysitter to, you know, to work, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right. So I know you uh, recently signed a big talent. Maybe you could share a little bit about who that is. Yeah, Roxy Diaz. So you know her from Entertainment Tonight. Some of your listeners uh, may know her from 106 in Park, where she was basically, if you're familiar with Soul Train, she was basically like the Don Cornelius uh, host. I mean, she's just really, really well respected within the entertainment community. She's currently on the new show, uh, Cannonball on NBC, and she is a partner. She's uh, she we we signed her up as not just um, a celebrity, but as a partner with Needle, and she's going to really play the role of just being an ambassador and showing showing entertainment uh, celebrities and showing influencers how to use the platform to make money. Because on this platform, as a broadcaster, you can make money through what we call hey, and. Um, you know, needle in a haystack. Yeah, we couldn't resist. So, hey, is the way that you can tip people, and it's the way that uh, broadcasters actually earn money for answering questions. Well, that sounds uh, really exciting, and uh, kind of having that talent, and then continue to add on to what you guys are doing. It sounds like you're kind of really beginning to to, to fit a really good need, a, a good niche, uh, as opposed to what you said before, trying to compete with Apple or, or in Spotify, which. Uh, may may not have been. Uh, I mean, I, I know you. I'm sure you probably could have done it, but that certainly would have been a much <laughs> harder climb uphill, right? Than maybe finding a 
uh, if people aren't familiar with sort of a blue ocean, right? Instead of uh, instead of trying to go in and compete and get bloody with with, with some with the big boys, uh, to go well, out there and I find mean, maybe I, a, a better a better way to to help your potential you know uh, consumers. Exactly, and then really just answering the need that um, business owners were coming to us with and saying, you know, Zoom kind of sucks, <laughs> and it's hard to figure out for some people still, and the, you know they're having too many embarrassing moments. So yeah, this this kind of helps. Right, absolutely. So, you know, maybe what's your uh, experience as an African-American, you know, showing up for work uh, the day after a lot of this stuff has been going on? I just sort of get your perspective as someone I think of as, you know, uh, as a real real leader inside of business, but also uh, a, a leader as an African-American. You know, there's been so many things going on with George Floyd and Chadwick Boseman and all of these things. I'm sort of wondering... You know, what's that been like for you and sort of how are you, you know, kind of handling probably whether you want it or not, a bit of leadership, a bit of people turning to you uh, and asking what you think and what we should do and how we should handle it. How's that been for you? Chris, you know, we've known each other for a long time, probably going on a decade, I think, probably. Um, and yeah. um, that's that's the first time anybody's ever asked me that question. I, I, I think it's a really, really uh, sensitive, awesome question because... When 9-11 happened, or like, like think back to 9-11, if you, I mean, nobody wants to, but uh, you think back to 9-11 or you think back to any of like the major things that happened in our collective American life, that's what it is to be African-American this year, right? Like all of us are dealing with the pandemic, but as we know, the pandemic is affecting African-American communities at a much higher level. Uh, and statistically and and then you've got the the crimes being perpetrated against our people i think what i think what gets lost a lot of times is that the african-american community is a very we we all have african-americans all shared enslavement and even though we're very diverse in population and 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 where we come from and what we uh, you know, political affiliation, some are Republican, some are independent, some are Democratic, you know, Democrats. Like, even though there's so much diversity within us, we share this core connective tissue. And the loss of Black Panther and the loss of uh, so many uh, people and leaders and, and just people being, you know, all these collective losses, they're, they're, they, they, they really affect us on a, on a very... Um, on a very sort of core level, and then going into work the next day or going into an office or attending a Zoom the next day when most of your counterparts are not African-American, it's actually pretty tough. It's like it's something that doesn't get called, called out enough. Like I have many times wanted to call in black, but you can't do that. <laughs> you know, you can't do that. I mean, but you have this experience where, wow, do these other people in this office know what I'm going through right now? And um, and I think it's something because I know that a lot of your audience is, is in HR. Um, they're in, um, you know, they're 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 helping teams. They're leading teams. And I think it's something to pay attention to. to. I don't have the answers for that, but I think it's something that for me, like um, when I was sort of sharing office space um, with, with our teams when, they were sh- when we were sharing office space pre-pandemic, you know, having a nod from other people would have been a good thing. You know, just like, 
you don't have to say anything to the African-American in your audience, I mean, in, in your office, but just like some sort of, you know, just a nod acknowledgement. I know there's, there's, there's a lot going on. You know, that kind right. of thing goes a long way. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I'm about ready for 2020 to, to just go away at this point. I mean, there has been so much going on. And, and, and then I think, but I'm not even, you know, th- with all the Black Lives Matter, with all the things going on with inside of the black community, like to add that, I, I'm just dealing with pandemic, right? Like, I, I, and I have, I have friends that have imp- impacted, but I'm not at the level, anywhere near uh, the level that my friends and, and, and people that I work with uh, in, in dealing with this. So I can't even imagine how bad, you know, 2020 must feel for them. But, you know, this, and really my intention in bringing this up today was not to turn our business show about leadership and culture and all this into a political one, because it is really not my intention. But there are things that we can do if if you want to. If this is something you're thinking about uh, as as a person, as an employee, as a coworker, that you can be an ally for, for people who, who need that help, who need that voice. There are things you can do. And if you don't know what you can do, ask. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, and, and, I, that's the advice I've been giving people is the first step. If you don't know, go ask. Go find someone yeah. you trust and and that you respect and, and ask. And, and, and the second question is that people say, well, why? Why, why, why do I need to do this? And, and I don't think this is a problem. You know, if, if you don't think it's a problem, there's a shocking statistic about you, very specifically, that I think might open some people's eyes if they have been a little resistant to this. And that is, you're one of only about 250 African-American men who've ever raised over a million dollars of venture capital money. To me, that is absolutely shocking. I mean, how, how many idiots get money all day, all the time for stupid ideas and only 250 of them? You know, that it, it, it's shocking to me. Yeah, I mean, not to make light of it, but we would love to have more black idiots, like, <laughs> like, like raise capital. Like, that that's the thing. Right. I think Chris Rock has a bit about that, you know. Can we just be average, you yeah. know? Um, I, had, I had one VC recently said to me, um, he, he confided in me that he has a cheat. He said, any, because of the statistics, any African-American that I meet that has raised more than a million dollars, from venture capital, I already know that they're a good investment. And I just thought, that just makes sense, of course. You know, like, it's a terrible cheat in some senses, but it's also really great. Like, at least the person right. acknowledges, like, he doesn't have to do all the vetting that he would normally have to do because it's probably a good investment. Yeah. And and, and, and to just to think, to, like, peel back the onion on why is that statistic what it is? And is it lack of access? Is it because... Maybe it's not lack of access. Maybe plenty of people do get up in front of investors in a room, and maybe they just don't get it because they're not not given that same chance. They're not given that same, you know, hey, let, let's take a chance on this person. Because often investors, whether people believe this or not, I've asked a lot of, of investors, when you're looking at a pitch, when you're talking to someone about investing in their company, what are you investing in? And like 99% of the time they say, I'm investing in the jockey, not the horse. Meaning, right. I'm investing in the investor, not the idea. Interesting analogy, since African Americans were jockeys for for much of oh. the, the history of horse racing. That made me sound way smarter than I was. It was totally unintentional, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? Like, it it, it 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 has to be about. There has to be some level of 
of, of, of racism built into there. There has to be some level. I mean, to me, it's like D, D all the above, right? There's all of these different things happening. And so all I can, can say to the people that want to think about it, that want to try to help, is you just have to try to find a way to continue to have an open mind, to continue to be an ally, to continue to 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 bring these things forward into conversation, right? Because I think when you shine a light on something, uh, it, it can it can really uh, help in ways that maybe people never thought of, right? Yeah, and and to your point, Chris, just real quick to 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 you know kind of cover off on the, the previous conversation about what you can say to African Americans in your workplace. And then with this conversation, like, there's this thing out there called the Internet. And <laughs> if you have the will, you can find almost any answer. And so, you know, I would say as somebody who got no less than 15 concerned um, uh, emails, voicemails after um, the murder of George Floyd, the public murder of George Floyd, which uh, which which I appreciate it. So on one level, you appreciate the, the check-in calls. But on the other level, I'm having to be the emotional support for you and me now. So, like, right. like that's not a bad thing if you know that the other person has already done their work, right? And I think this is the, the time when our European-American brothers and sisters need to start to do their work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't take more than five or ten minutes to just do, like, you know, just do some quick what do I say to somebody on the job? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there are articles out there and, and it doesn't take five minutes to find out who are the top African-American uh, founders in the country. There's actually a Google list. I wish I knew the, the name of it, but it, now that you know that there's a Google list, there's a, um, there's a Google Excel sheet that's like a public Excel sheet that you can access. We're, we're one of the companies that are on this list and you can find all kinds of huge, amazing investments like that other people are not looking at. So, so um, I, I think it was um, uh, Ibram uh, said, the billionaire from, from Africa said, when there's, a, um, when, when there's a gap between perception and reality, that's um, a, a wonderful business opportunity, right? So mm-hmm. there's a perception um, gap right now. People don't realize how many amazing, educated, super smart, like it's actually a safer bet to bet on an African-American or a woman founder right now because we've had to do so much to get to the level that we've gotten to. So if you want to protect your money, invest in African-American and and women and people of color. Yeah, you make two two fantastic points about, uh, you know, there's, there's really is a fantastic opportunity here uh, for anyone who's looking to to make a difference and invest in, in a great person and a great idea. But number two, I think the the first thing you talked about is that you know it, it, if you're if you're not black and and, and you want to know how you can help it, or you want to talk about, it's not necessarily you need to call up all of your black friends and try to get them to be now be your emotional support person, right? Because they mm-hmm. then then to your point, you're you're doing it for two people now. And you, you really need to think about what you can do. And I, I will tell you, I, it, it took some real contemplation on my part to figure out what I was going to do. Right? For me personally, what was my, was my action going to be that I was going to be okay with, that I was going to be happy with, that it was actually going to be meaningful? For me personally, walking down the street holding a sign wasn't, wasn't enough. And that's not in any way a derogatory to anyone who's protesting no. or marching. But for me, like, I, what, what can I do with the platform I have, right? And, 
and and I had to really contemplate that and figure that out. But uh, I learned r- very quickly when I started reaching out to my people that I respect in my network who were uh, black and African American to to maybe be on a webinar or to do this thing with me. Like they were already full. They they they, they have to do their job, and then they were being asked to be on every webinar and everything. <laughs> like they they were. Do you know what I mean? They had like enough work for like the yep. next ten years. And I'm asking them to do it for free because I'm trying to help. And so I had to like totally rework that and totally rethink it and, and, and figure it out. But like, you know, it was hard. But that's what I think everyone needs to do if we care about this issue. If we want more people to get, you know, investment. If we want we want this to, this issue to maybe finally get to a point where we feel like it's gotten significantly better. Yeah, we're all going to have to do something, right? Um, yeah. And, and for me, I, I had to go read a bunch of books. <laughs> uh, to your point, there's the internet, there's books, there's things out there that you know can help right away. And I had to read a lot of books, Which and book they were you not, read? you know, uh, uh, I, I read uh, Anti-Racist was the first one I went to, which I thought was a very good book. It felt a little bit like taking medicine in some ways. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's a breezy fun book about racism. No, it's like <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna get your butt kicked. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna have a hard time wanting to pick the book back up, at, you know. But like, it's important, and it was hard, and it was good, and it was it was real, you know. It was, but um, not so. My, I brought up the book because I want to ask what books you're reading these days, or if there's something you suggest people check out. You know what's funny is I'm reading. Um, my favorite activity is to read with my daughter, and uh, and so you know I'm reading all these books that I haven't looked at for. Uh, many many years, right? And uh, you know, there's there's a uh, hop on pop is her favorite one from Dr. Seuss. And by the way, Dr. Seuss, like I had to put half the books away because there's like bias racially or something weird in them. So, but but there's some really gem, great gems. And what's funny, I know this is going to surprise your audience, or maybe they won't because they've just read the books themselves. But Yertle the Turtle um, is actually a social commentary on today's. Uh, political system. Uh, oh yeah, and yeah, I don't know if you remember that one. And then there's, uh, and then there's also Lorax, which I had no idea. I didn't remember the story at all, but it's so good about the environment. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, he, but, um, he there, yeah, there are some questionable ones there, but the, most of them are like really good social commentary, political commentary. You know, it's like it's crazy. Yeah, and the guy's a genius, right? I just have to say this. I, just self indulge me. I'm sorry. I'm just in love with my two year old, but. <laughs> she, she finishes hop on pop like the, the way to do it is you you read the first part of the sentence and then she finishes the rest so it's just the guy was a genius um no doubt and and you know that's an important point look i just said that um and, and to the anti-racist point right i just said that the guy was a genius and we're using his books but i had to put half of the books away right so you don't throw the the, the baby out with the bathwater. You know, and one of the things that you learned in, in anti-racist he talks about is that racism isn't like a thing that you are your entire life. It can be a thing that you are from moment to moment about certain things and not about other things. You know what I mean? So that's a great, yeah. it's a great uh, moment. But the other book that I'm reading is the autobiography of a yogi. Apparently it was something that was given away to, to Steve Jobs guests after mm-hmm. his, um, during his, his funeral. And I, I kind of wanted to crack it open and see, you know, what's the magic. So I'm struggling through the beginning, but I'm sure I'm going to get to the halfway point soon. 
Yeah, well, I uh, hope that you will let me know how that book goes because I did see that and I have it on my list of, you know, 322 other books I'm supposed to read. Um, <laughs> where I, we, I did, did a little bit, we did some really heavy books in the book, my book clubs that I run, and we just decided this month we're doing Because Internet, which is more about language and kind of the evolving changes in language because of the internet and everything. So we thought we'd do something really interesting, but like not so heavy because I just needed a break. Um, <laughs> how do I, how do I, how do, how do, how do I, how do we join your book club? I, I definitely want to join. Is there, is it? Yeah. Private? Yeah. I'd love to have you join. So I do one in LA, do one in Orange County right now. It's all completely virtual. We do it over zoom. So, you know, we just have a discussion. So I will add you when we're done. I'll add you to the, the guest list. So, Yay. You can you can join and be a part of that. And if anyone is interested in the books that we're reading, even if when we finally go back and we are meeting in person, uh, I can still have you on the list and you can be notified of the books, even if you're not uh, geographically able to attend. But uh, anyone's welcome to to be a part who's a who's a, who, a leader or someone who wants to learn and grow. That's it's really just a whole bunch of gr- uh, people who like like to argue about a book for an hour once a once a month. Um, and for me, it is uh, the excuse that I needed. It is the mechanism by which I ensure that I read one really important book every month. And I, I tend to read other ones for fun and for pleasure that, but I kept letting Maybe. all those really great books that everyone was talking about pile up on my nightstand. And this was the way to get me to stop doing that. I would, because I have to facilitate a book club once a month. So I had better read the book because I'm going to be there to facilitate everybody. So, uh, sometimes, sorry accountability yeah it's 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 silly but it's like you know uh, if anyone's ever read the book atomic habits it's like you don't set a goal to go running you set a goal to put on your running shoes and you put on your running shoes and now you're more likely to go out the door and go take a run and uh, it's the same thing for me right so i set the book club that means well i better read the book as opposed to my goal of reading a book which i never did i just kept pushing it off to the next month and you know, read the read the fun stuff, but never the hard stuff. So, anyways, I, uh, my 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 goal would be unlock the front door because <laughs> putting on the shoes, I would just take them off. But the, right. unlock the front door, I, I, I'd have to really you know, make it happen. Though. Yeah, whatever whatever that trigger is for you, that thing. Because for me, if I put on running shoes now, I'm going to go be on the treadmill or go run like that. It is a thing, and I will avoid putting them on. Right, so I don't have to go run. Um, yeah, maybe maybe we can get the uh, the book club on needle. Well, that would be really fascinating. Yeah, Yay. because I mean, we certainly would open it up to to people uh, anywhere, right? That want to listen, especially if they just want to listen in on what a group of people are talking about. It gets to some point where it gets to be too big, um, but yeah, that'd be really interesting. So I will send you the information. How can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you? Maybe they want to bring Needle into their organization. What's the best way for them to do that? Well, we have a successful equity crowdfunding that's happening right now. So if you're an investor at a low-level investor and you want to pitch in or be a part of our success, you can go to wefunder.com forward slash four letters N-E-D-L. Again, that's wefunder.com forward slash needle. And then you can also just, you can email me. That's fine. A-Y-I-N-D-E at findneedle.com. F-I-N-D-N-E-D-L.com. And if you're interested in finding him and you aren't sure how to spell his name, 
don't be afraid. I'm going to spell it for you right now. So it's A-Y-I-N-D-E is how you spell his first name. And his last name is A-L-A-K-O-Y-E. So hopefully I said all that right. Thank you so much yep. for being on the show again, my friend. Uh, good luck with the raise. Good luck with the company. And I look forward you, to having sir. you back on hearing about all your wonderful success. You're awesome, man. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Talent Talk. Hopefully you've learned something that you can use uh, in your own career in a positive way. Uh, until uh, next week, uh, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 